From the high desert in Far East West Texas, this is the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with that sports TV ratings. Hi, I'm Robert Seidman. Thanks for listening. And joining me for this episode is a return visitor and one of my brother's favorite guests, and one of mine too, NBC Sports Executive Vice President and General Manager of Digital, Rick Cordella. Rick, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Robert. Happy to be here. So uh, the Super Bowl is on February 4th, and uh, then you get to take what seems like literally one deep breath uh, before focusing on the Winter Olympics that uh, begin the following Friday. And uh, on the one hand, I, I just can't imagine a more stressful period uh, of time for you and your role, uh, for you and your team. Uh, but on the other hand, I, I, can't, I can't imagine sort of a, a cooler challenge and, and a thing to get to do. So I, I'm just wondering how you, how you balance all that, how you and, and the people in your organization balance all of that. Yeah, I mean, it's it somewhat masochistically we look forward to this time, but you know, look, at the end of the day, you know, working on these big tentpole events like the Super Bowl Olympics is why you want to work with NBC Sports, why you, why you're attracted to this job in the first place. And and don't forget the World Cup, we have the Spanish language right. rights to that, which comes up just a short few months later. Um, but it's a Herculean effort from a technical perspective. You know, it's not just streaming video, but ad delivery around the Super Bowl that, you know, makes us nervous and gets us excited. Um, and there's an intellectual challenge of the business. How do you take these big, huge events and how do you maximize the monetization around them? How do you have new technological advances, advance the product, make these, these products or these, uh, these subjects to be more digestible for the user? And we're just really excited for it. Right. So, uh, you know, when I, when I had you on in August, uh, you noted that for big events like the Super Bowl and Olympics, that uh, you added an awful lot of redundancy uh, you know, for, for just in case purposes, uh, to make, make sure people could, could, could still view this stuff regardless of, uh, any technical snafus. And I'm just wondering if you can kind of, uh, recap, uh, what kind of redundancy you have going on for the, uh, Super Bowl and the Olympics as far as on the streaming side. Yeah, I think we have 19 backup streams, the wow. Olympics wow. And, and the Super Bowl, just to, you know, have every base covered. Um, our technical team, led by Eric Flax, does a fantastic job with, you know, getting the content out to all the users on the different platforms. But it's it's not an easy task. The the internet's a sort of inhospitable place for for live video, and so we're we're trying to cover all our bases. Right. So, um, can, can you give me and the listeners an idea of just how big? you know, the, the next five, three or four weeks are for you uh, in terms of what you're endeavoring to do here is because uh, both from the point of view of the, uh, excuse me, both from the point of view of the hours of content you'll be streaming uh, and if you can in round numbers, the number of people who wind up working on making sure that uh, people like me get to watch what they want, when they want, whatever device they want to watch it on. Sure. So let's start with the Super Bowl. So if you look at the trends, um, if we have a game that's close, you know, late in the game in the fourth quarter, you know, we expect somewhere north of 2 million concurrence. I think Fox had mentioned last year, had announced they were about 1.7. And there's an organic growth that seems to happen every year. Right. So that's a pretty significant amount of people streaming, uh, you know, one game on the internet. Um, we think we're up for the challenge. We, we, it's unprecedented, of course. And, you know, we want to make sure not only is the stream, of the highest quality, but we deliver on our ad commitments as well and, and push those out there. Um, we're ready for it, I believe. Um, to put that in perspective, the two million concurrence for an average Sunday football game is typically around two to three hundred thousand. So we're expecting about ten x the audience on the Super Bowl. Wow. Um, and for the first time, I'm sure 
there are those that would say this is overdue. We'll mirror the, the, <laughs> the national advertisements uh, in our stream. In the past, wow. we had taken a subset of the advertisers, but this time we're going to mirror that through. We'll still deliver it uh, via uh, ad integration or, or freewheel. So it makes that a bit more difficult in terms of technical delivery. Right. But we will have the same national ads uh, that exist. And then for the local spots, uh, local affiliates have their time. Uh, we will deliver ads into local DMAs. So if you're in Boston, you're going to see a different local advertisement than if you're in New York. Nice. And so there's that sort of uh, addressable media that I think everyone talks about where the future is going. Right. Um, so all that, and, and just generally speaking, there's a lot that can happen between when the action is captured by our cameras and it's filtered through an encoder and up into the cloud and out the CDN and, and down the pipe into your house. You know, we'll try and make that the best we can, but we know a lot of it's out of our control as well. Right. So um, uh, the, this next question comes from your uh, your friend Jonathan Tannenwald at the uh, Philadelphia Inquirer. Uh, and he, he, he asked me to ask you uh, if you could talk about uh, what was involved with the, the powers that be finally endorsing uh, streaming of the opening <laughs> ceremony live. And he said Jonathan he thought is, you'd laugh. He, he is the biggest fan of the opening ceremony that I know. Um, yeah, look, I think we evolve our coverage each and every year. And, and so, you know, we look at what we did you know, in Rio, what we learned from that, what we're doing differently. And it's not just the opening ceremony. I think an announcement was made a few months ago about us going live across. Right. So now, you know, folks in the West Coast who, you know, want to watch, you know, the big content live, like the folks in the East Coast have that chance. So 8 p.m. Eastern and 5 p.m. West Coast, you'll be watching the same programming across. So we have evolved our coverage, I think, along with the times. And that's partly where the opening ceremony uh, green light came from. Do, do, do you have a round number of like uh, you know, how many hours of, uh, of content you'll be streaming over the course of the Olympics? So we'll have 1,800 hours of content. Um, wow. 600 or so will come from linear NBC networks, including right. NBC Broadcast Network and, and CNBC and, and uh, USA and others. Um, a lot of it's coming from the Olympic Broadcasting Service, and that's a lot of the host fees that they provide, all the various you know, sheets of curling, um, right. all the, all the different events that we have in our tent. And then of course we have a lot of original programming that we're putting out there too, which speaks to the time zone difference. Um, right. you know, we're dark between about nine thirty AM Eastern time to about 7 PM or so Eastern time. So certainly there's a lot of highlights to watch on, on the website and on our apps during that time, but we want to have fresh content for you as well. Um, after the men's hockey games, we'll have a wrap up show. Um, originally appearing on, on digital platforms. We'll also have a figure skating show after figure skating night. So not every night, but when figure skating is happening, right. we'll have that show available for you. And then we have the NBC Sports Gold Zone, which is sort of a, we'll call it a sports center-like sort of highlight show that we run each day in the afternoon. So right. with all that, we're really pushing out a lot of content this time. Right, that's a lot. So you, you answered, I think, a little bit of this, but I'm just really curious, how much does the time zone factor in, you know, if at all, to the decisions you make around streaming, I guess I'm just getting to do the times and differences get you uh, on on your side to to think about and do things differently. Yeah, I, I don't know if we have to, you know, I'll say I don't know if we change what we do necessarily. I mean, some of the original programs certainly, but from a live streaming capacity, we stream everything no matter what time it is. So that doesn't necessarily change. We kind of we we play the hand that we're dealt there. Right. Uh, our digital prime time, at least historically, before the proliferation of connected TVs was the workday. 
if we recall back to Sochi, our biggest peak was noontime on the final Friday of the Olympics, Team USA uh, versus Team Canada men's hockey in the semifinal right. round. And I think we got up to, I might have the number, numbers wrong now, but it's like 700,000 or 800,000 concurrence. Enormous game. And right. that game was, I think, upwards of like 30 or 40% of the audience watched it online versus the linear network, which again, makes sense, right? What, here, what, here, what percentage was that? I'm sorry. It's like 30 or 40% of the total wow. audience. The AMA was on the digital stream, which makes sense if you're at work and there's right. say most people don't have access to a TV at work. This is your one outlet to watch it. You know, fast forward now to, to Pyeongchang where, you know, the, the best game you're going to have is between 7 a.m. and 9.30 a.m. And so you don't have people really at work. They may be commuting. Uh, the West Coast is still, you know, sound asleep. Right. You know, that, that's probably something that we have to overcome. Um, on the flip side of that, we do get a lot of live content in prime time, which we didn't have in Sochi, um, which should help boost that streaming side of things. So it, it changes, and there's benefits and pros and cons to, to every time zone that we have the Olympics in. Right. So but besides the change to some of the ways that the advertising is working in the uh, in the ad insertions, uh, is, there, is there anything new on the streaming side for the Olympics that you're excited about? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot. We're trying to add more context around, you know, uh, the streams that we're putting out there. You know, a lot of it's it's the the, the host feeds right. from OBS, right? Um, and it's not Americanized. It's not made for an American audience. So we're trying to add, you know, stats and data and information. We'll probably have a larger announcement about that uh, coming up shortly. So that's that's a big thing. Uh, the original programming that I mentioned before, it's, it's an investment we're making now because of that you know, dark period on the East Coast, or right. at least in America, I guess, right. that we're trying to engage the audience throughout the day. So those are a couple things that we're looking forward to. Um, and just over, overall, you know, streaming primetime, you know, on connected devices, that's not something we had in the past. So we, right. in Sochi, we're only on mobile and tablet and desktop. And it seems like eons ago, but it was only four years ago, we didn't have connected apps. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, that is uh, how how time flies. All right, so yeah. I want to I want to move on to uh, to NBC Sports Gold, and uh, you know whether it's the ane- anecdotal feedback I'm getting on Twitter or the reviews on Amazon, uh, though I see many, uh, I get many positive com- comments, and I've read many positive reviews from subscribers, uh, but mostly, you know, as with most things lately, it seems like mostly what I see is the grumbling. Uh, when it comes to the NBC Sports Gold streaming service. And uh, with the caveat that I think it likely that, uh, that you and NBC Sports, you know, didn't, didn't expect to have everything figured out from day one. Uh, how's it going so far, and what have you figured out so far? Yeah, what I'll say about that is, is some of the, the grumbling we hear, I get it. I understand it. We, we took a product that was available via TV Everywhere, uh, in the past, and we said, hey, we're not, we NBC are spending a lot of money on these rights, and we're not monetizing them as effectively as we, we can or should. We're going to take these games, which are digital only, and put them behind a paywall. And I, I understand how fans are, you know, upset that something that was previously, at least in their mind, seen as free, right. and now they had to pay for, and you get a negative response, and some folks on, on Twitter tend to be a bit creative and salty around their responses, <laughs> but I, I get that. But at the end of the day, I think that this this where we're going, and, and Mark Lazarus like to say, like, we have three legs of the stool. One is broadcast, two is cable, and now three is this digital slash D to C outlet. And I think that's how you're going to see broadcast rights sort of outlaid in the coming years, as you can monetize what we'll say is a long tail of content. And maybe that long tail of content isn't just 
it shouldn't just be streamed for free or shouldn't just be put on a cable network. That right. if there is a, a passionate group of people that love this content, putting it in a, in a, you know, behind a paywall and that helps afford us the right to produce it and all that, putting it there is something that people will, will understand and in some cases enjoy and putting aside Premier League soccer, which I know has a, has an incredibly passionate base of people. Some of the other verticals in NBC sports gold, you know, incredibly positive reaction from those fans, the cycling fans, we have 25 plus cycling races a year. And the response from those fans has been incredibly positive. Right. Motocross, rugby, where you have Six Nations coming up just in about a week and a half. You know, these, this is content that wasn't previously available, or at least as easily available as it is today. And so we're really happy where, where we are. Um, the, the number of subscribers and the revenue has far exceeded our expectations, and we think that we're in well position for the future. Nice. So, uh, you know, there, there are increasingly, uh, you know, any number of ways to stream different things. And I, I think like next season, I'll be able to stream Sunday night and Thursday night football, both from uh, at least for the for the games that are on NBC, both from NBC and Verizon and uh, probably from whoever the uh, the Internet partner is this year. Uh, and uh, let's see. You know, I get from an, an overall NBC perspective, more is better regardless of where it comes from. But if I play some kind of a corporate fantasy league and put myself in your shoes for a few minutes, the first words out of my mouth are, I want all the data. And uh, I, th- <laughs> right. I think I'd spend time on figuring out incentives uh, for getting folks to, uh, you know, to use us instead of them. Uh, and I'm just wondering, is, is, is that just crazy talk from, you know, a corporate fantasy leaguer, or is there something to that? No, I think, look, if we had our druthers, we'd prefer that people use the NBC Sports apps and, and products. There's certainly a halo effect of people using us that we'll see in, you know, consuming other products. So think of the Olympics, for instance, if people come to us, well, there's short-form video clips around it. There's, there's articles and information and metal counts of which are probably sponsored and, and we can draw advertising support for. And, and we theoretically make more money per set of eyeballs on our platforms versus elsewhere. Having said that, there is something to be said about the reach that putting content in different places enables. And right. certainly advertisers want to reach as many people as they can with their products. And, you know, I know we have different models with different properties, but what's happening in the NFL is that reach play. And it's something that we'll continue to examine as time goes along. But for right now, we're excited about the ad reach that we get with it. Yeah. So, um, for, you know, from your perspective now, I guess you've been you've been doing uh, both both Sunday night football and Thursday night football for, uh, you know, both of them, I guess, for at least a couple of years. Um, you know, what's what's your take on the uh, the general growth of the uh, of the of the streaming? Every year, more people are aware it exists. More people are comfortable streaming. They have the, the devices to do so. And again, we see connected TVs up substantially year over year. Um, and people may ask, hey, why do people you know, need connected TVs if they have a set-top box? And I think part of it is people are no longer renting the same number of volumes they had in the past. It does cost 5 or $10 a month. Right. And some people place these devices in their basements or their dens, and uh, they turn it on, there it is. And then people like me that have a lot of kids you know, Netflix and, and other SBOD services tend to be the home screen of the TV set. So it's often easy to go right to the NBC Sports app from there as opposed to switching the input over back to cable. And then the last thing is that, you know, if you are an Olympic fan, and I'm getting out of the NFL, but if you're an Olympic fan, you know, it's easy for us in the business to understand that, hey, 
curlings on CNBC and primetime has this content and, you know, there might be different content on, on USA for an Olympic fan. If you just go to our app, everything's there. We're right. network agnostic. You get everything as a host yep. fees, a short form video, and it's one-stop shopping for you. So for big events, especially, you know, we do see that, that sort of accelerated growth. Yeah. I have to be honest. I think to the degree that I watch, you know, any linear Olympics this year, it's going to be, through the connected device just for the ease of finding what I want. We appreciate the business. <laughs> so uh, any, uh, any updates on Playmaker Media? Are they doing anything cool? Yeah. And again, this is, uh, you know, I'm really proud of the, of the tech team and, and product team that put forth Playmaker Media. And I think it's a pretty big feather in our cap that coming out of NBC Sports, you know, we can have this technology that, you know, I think other people have started to use and are willing to pay for. Um, we have upwards of, let me try and think of who we've announced publicly. I always get myself in trouble because there are some, some that are done, but not ready to be, uh, in the public domain yet. Uh, but we still have, uh, Chivas, you know, the Guadalajara and soccer right. club. We have the IOC. We've done Yahoo Japan. Uh, we have NASCAR's international, uh, D to C. Um, who else do we have here? I should have it off the top of my head, but we, ha we have a lot. And I think that the other interesting thing that's happening is not just, you know, who we've signed up but the amount of conversations that people are having and the fact that, you know, we're in bidding against, you know, I think, you know, competitors that in the past wouldn't see, wouldn't have seen NBC sports as a technical technological solution is really interesting. And I think it's something that we can bring in, in a rights negotiation that maybe some of our other peers cannot. So hopefully it's an advantage for us, but we're really happy with our playmaker is and, and we're really happy with the conversation we're having the pipeline and how the pipeline looks for the future. So, uh, you know, I'm just curious, like five years down the road, you know, what, what are your goals for, for, for Playmaker? How much will be on that? I, look, I think it, it, first and foremost, it's something that we want to, to, to bring to our partners. Right. You know, this, isn't, this isn't something that we're going to go out there and, and sign up, up, up people that just because, hey, we want to win business. We want right. to make sure that's strategic to us. Um, and the NASCAR one's a great example. And the IOC, too, the Olympic Channel. Like these are our big partners. We're paying big rights fees. We're very close with them in many different ways. Right. And it makes sense that, you know, if they have, they need a solution for streaming media that NBC sports, their big partner can bring that to bear. Right. So that's that that's first and foremost, but my hope is that as we head into rights negotiations, you know, through not only the, you know, the next couple of years, but in the long term, that, you know, we're, we're get tighter with our partner through that technological uh, integration. So I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot with this question. You, you, you don't have to answer it. Uh, are, are you excited about the return of the XFL? I, saw, I did see the announcement. I did watch part of the press conference, and I think there's a little bit of, you know, I think there's a little bit of just excitement to see, you know, what this becomes. You know, everyone kind of watched the 30 for 30 documentary, yeah. and it was certainly fun, fun TV. And I think looking back, you look back at it nostalgically. Um, but yeah, I think we're we're curious to see what becomes of this. There, there weren't a ton of details coming out today, other than that eight teams and starts in 2020. So we'll wait to hear more information. Are you up for weighing weighing in on some career advice? Absolutely. So uh, you know, I don't have relatively speaking that many listeners, uh, but it seems that most of them are millennials, and um, and especially based on, uh, on on your appearance in August, for some reason, uh, several of them reached out to me to ask for some kind of career advice. And, uh, you know, I, I told them that in their shoes, I would focus on finding good people who are running interesting businesses uh, slash business units and, uh, and, and, and not really worry necessarily about the specific thing. 
Uh, and so, you know, I, I ran myself through those paces too. And, uh, if I, you know, if I, if I, uh, did that test, like just based on my podcast guests, uh, I would be bugging both you and, uh, Trog Keller who heads up uh, ESPN's audio, uh, business. I'd be hounding you guys all the time about how to get into your organizations. And for very similar reasons, uh, I like you both. I like how you carry yourselves and how you deal with people. And uh, you both are running uh, what to me are very, very exciting businesses. Uh, I think for audio on demand, it's still the top half of the first inning. But I think even for streaming, it's still probably the first inning, uh, for, even for streaming video. And uh, personally speaking, you know, I just like uh, I like being around good people and working on uh, interesting stuff, especially if I can be working on uh, interesting stuff early on. Uh, but I always have to disclaim my advice, uh, for, you know, to those advice seekers, uh, you know, that I've been unemployed or self-employed for the last 15 plus years. Uh, so so please sanity check my career advice to them or, or burn it to the ground. Yeah, no, I appreciate those kind words, too. And Look, I, the biggest advice I have is, is one, and it's obvious, you follow your passion first and foremost, and I know people have a lot of passion for sports. Um, two, try and get your foot in the door any way you can. And don't, you know, I remember I, I've talked to people and, and they want the perfect job out of college and, and it doesn't, life doesn't really work that way. Like if you want to get into an industry, you should focus on that and try and get in the door even at the very lowliest level. And if you can afford to take a job that's a, pretty significant, you know, pay cut from where you are, or, you know, you're willing to just work for, for less, that's, that's going to help you get you in. You can worry about making the money later on. Right. And three, I think the most important thing that I see is like, are you intellectually curious? Like right. the world we live in, especially digital, it's changing each and every day. And I think one of the big things that I try and do is, is, is I try and read as much as I can, listen to podcasts, get different perspectives, try and really understand why does someone think the way they think? Or right. why does a business operate the way that they do? Right. And uh, after a while, after getting all these perspectives, you start to develop your own. And I think that's how like, I've been somewhat successful is sort of understanding sort of, hey, here's a landscape. Here's how X, Y, and Z are operating. Here's how you know, this person sort of said you know, it's important to them or important for their business. I think NBC Sports should do this because of that. And so really understanding the information is out there. And I think Mark Cuban wrote this article on his blog a long time ago called The Knowledge Advantage. Right. And if you go back years ago before you could have access to all this stuff, everything's on the web. You right. know, read, read, I mean, I read, obviously I listen to your podcast and this is the first podcast without a siren blaring in the background coming from New York <laughs> city, probably. But it's, you know, it, it's, it's one of these things where like, there's so much information, so much advice out there, so many trade magazines and articles and so many businesses that you can kind of dissect and people you can talk to like that's just get in the door and be passionate and you'll get noticed. I mean, we want to notice, you know, young, smart people. Um, so that, that's what I would say. And look, there's a, there's a, I, I'm not, for me, you always got to also appreciate where you are and appreciate working in sports. It's a privilege. We're the kids in the candy store every day working on this stuff. Yep. So make sure you always, you know, always with a smile on your face and that, that works too. Yep. I, I, th I think that's great advice and uh, calling out, particularly calling out the, uh, the intellectual curiosity. I, I think that is a, a big, big deal. So if you're not intellectually curious, maybe one task is this to figure out how to get intellectually curious. Yep, absolutely. So Rick, a, a pleasure as always. I, I wish you, I wish you uh, good, good streaming and uh, no, no downtime with the Super Bowl and the Olympics. Your, your mouth of God's ears. Thank you very much, Robert. I appreciate it. 
Thanks again to Rick Cordella for joining the podcast. You can get a lot of mileage out of being intellectually curious AF. And uh, you can find all the past podcasts, including recent ones with uh, ESPN Executive Vice President Burke Magnus with scheduling enthusiast Matt Sarziniak, and uh, also one with Turner Sports Senior Vice President of Programming and Production Scooter Vertino on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, RSS, and SportsTVRatings.com. Thanks for listening.